Thank you for doing this interview today. No, no problem. problem. My pleasure. So is this your first time at Soundtrack Cologne? Uh, No, I I just counted this is my fifth time here. Oh, wow. But no, Soundtrack, first time. Mm -hmm. The other other four have been um, Gamescom, of course. So have you been there as well this year? No. No. Unfortunately, no time. Oh, that's unfortunate. The schedules are so tight that I'm practically, you know, grounded. Oh dear. Yeah. And pretty soon after after this actually I need to go to the airport. Or is this something that's already you're working on? Yeah, that's something that's probably I think my deadline is in November but okay. I'm not sure. So So it's in the pipeline then. <laughs> yeah. You can't you can't tell us any more about it. And, well, not not <laughs> not really, but um, since remedy is involved, mm-hmm. you can well, you can draw lines from there. Okay. Yeah. I I've been I'm not actually working at Remedy. It's been more or less like a like a long gig mm-hmm. that I've been enjoying with them. But it's been quite interesting because um, somehow they seem to trust me, and well, <laughs> which is always nice. Everything just works <laughs> with them, so I trust yeah. them back. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been quite easy easy that way, and I I enjoy their points of views because they are quite bright people. They are mm-hmm. probably the brightest people I've ever met in my life. There are quite a few pure geniuses working over there. And this is not like arse leaking or... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think when you've got a team that you kind of take inspiration from yeah. that, don't you? Yeah. And there's some sort of a will to explore despite that they have tasted some um, well, success. Yes. And... and, and, and things like that so I'm, I'm quite happy to have them more or less on my side that's great so we'll, we'll hear more about it in November do you think well <laughs> I, I hope that I'm ready by November <laughs> I, I've never missed a deadline mm-hmm. or blown a budget that's mm-hmm. something that, I'm, that I can I can really deliver but I, I don't know what I do after that yeah. I haven't even thought I was thinking that maybe I should reconsider relocating my studio elsewhere maybe even another country I don't know I I really don't know what to do so what's what's brought this sort of change on what's made you think about moving well it's weather in Finland (laughs) that's one thing and I happen uh, although I'm a Finnish I happen to hate snow quite a lot oh no that's quite unfortunate yeah. yeah because I I happen to live in such a place that uh, if it snows in the night, in the morning I need to plow 30 meters in order to get to the car, (laughs) after which I need to plow 100 meters in order to get to the road. So if it snows at night, I need to be awake two hours earlier than normally. On the other hand, it keeps me in rather good shape, but I would (laughs) gladly use that two hours in, in, in... yeah, you know something else. There's always a silver lining, as they say. But yeah, I can understand. Yeah, so. yeah. It's it's well. It's not only it's not only the snow. I think it's um, there aren't too many companies in Finland with which I could be involved with a triple A project, mm-hmm. and Remedy is is truly the only one who's capable mm-hmm. of delivering a clear three A project. Mm-hmm. And um, the others won't come even close. And I'm not that keen on doing endless amounts of tiny casual games. I mean, mm. iPad, iPhone games. Yeah. It's it's interesting work, yes. But um, in my point of view, 
what matters most is continuity. I mean, you have to do more than just one project for the client in order to build up uh, something that's uh, that's more valuable than the amount of money that's being transferred or whatnot. Mm. It's about uh, how you know their products. It's about where they are aiming at. It's mm. about how you can support them uh, going towards their aim. Yes. It's about getting to know people and getting to know how they think and how they value their products. Yeah, yeah that's actually something I was going to bring up. In your talk earlier, you'd mentioned that you really wanted to get you wanted to get to speak to the writers a lot more, but the time didn't really allow for that. Mm. And that would maybe give you more of an insight into the characters and the story. Mm. Yeah. And do you put a lot of value on that when you're composing? Is it the storyline that kind of drives your mm. compositions? Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting way way to... I know that um, people think um, this and that about my my opinion of that, but mm. to me it's uh, it's crucial to know Although the characters are fictional, it's yeah. very crucial for me to know what, for instance, how, how was their last relationship, for instance. Although mm-hmm. it's imaginable, it's totally yeah. imaginary. It, it, it has never happened and it's not real, but I need to know, uh, for instance, with Jack, why is he so detached from everything in mm-hmm. the first scene? He's going, coming back to his hometown and he's like... He couldn't care less, despite he's going to see one of his best friends and he, his brother is probably missing or something like that. And, uh, yeah, why? Uh, that's interesting. And when you, you start digging that hole, you find bone and you find this and yeah. you find that and some broken memory and whatnot. It's more interesting to me than what is happening after In that. that. Moment, yeah. That's actually really interesting. So do you sometimes find that even the writers haven't considered that far back mm. into the plot line? So you're kind of making them kind of think about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, throwing the ball back, yeah. Mm. I, actually, I always thought myself as being um, more or less a, an industrial spy when I keep on asking <laughs> those questions. like it. <laughs> but, but now that... Now, yeah, I I thought I was a pain in the ass when I <laughs> was constantly begging them to join me to you know to a lunch or something. But mm-hmm. but now thinking it that way, yes, actually it, it makes sense. Yeah. But on the other hand, I know that they had their plans and mm-hmm. I know that they had their vision and and whatnot. But it would be really it would be quite flattering to think that maybe I with my questions. Maybe so. something I don't know if yeah. it happened. But you would, yeah, you would think there's maybe a two-way relationship there, where your questions are maybe making them think about the things that mm. perhaps they might not have. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I know. I'm. On the other hand, when I'm in a relationship, I never ask about past boyfriends <laughs> or husbands or whatnot. It's maybe it's not. not <laughs> it it couldn't you know bother me less. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's nonchalant thing. It doesn't matter, but with game characters and things like that, it's it's somehow increasingly interesting. And actually, the same applies to locations as well. Oh, yeah. For instance, mm-hmm. uh, at one scene, Beth and Jack and, and, and who else was there, they went to this, uh, which was, uh, was an old swimming pool or, or university swimming mm-hmm. hall or something like that, where there was another time machine. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and that location, why 
was it abandoned in the first place mm-hmm. and so forth and it's so interesting and that's basically uh, I enjoy thoroughly when some games manage to build up uh, the lore the background story around them yes either before the game or after the game so that the lore can be born post release as well mm-hmm. but uh, to me it's making the experience more enjoyable and I think the game companies should concentrate more on creating the worlds instead mm-hmm. of creating the events mm-hmm. because uh, the world contains all the events mm-hmm. right there and um, and the world has more depth, depth than just one single detached event mm-hmm. from the continuum of time if yes. you put it that way But no, it sounds so ridiculous, really, when you put it that way. No, but it's so true. Um, I remember I was doing a, a thesis on music for fictional worlds. Mm-hmm. And part of my argument was that you need the music to kind of make this world seem more real. Would mm. you maybe agree with that or do you disagree with that? Mm-hmm. Um, usually, when people arrive into a new space or a new situation, they use their ears and eyes mm-hmm. in order to find out what's where and who's who. And I've heard some people thinking of some song when they enter a party where there's new people involved mm-hmm. or they are uh, invited to a company party for the first time and they don't know, well, they probably know two or three people over there. And uh, it's uh, I read from a book by, was it... Daniel Levitin, who wrote a book about this is your brain on music or am I <laughs> am I mixing up things anyway uh, the, there was a there was a short mention of uh, how people think about music and there uh, also there's this theory that whenever people think of some song they like to think it approximately in the right tempo mm-hmm. but when They are humming it. It's off key, off mm-hmm. from the original key, mm-hmm. which tells us that the the rhythm was there yeah. well before the melody, because yeah. it's somehow part of our DNA. But yes, uh, when people are are entering a new space and they are humming something, I, I think music is all around, all the time. And when you're walking outside, you may start thinking of some song or some track while you're walking without actually even noticing or deciding, yes. now I'm going to think of that one thing. Mm-hmm. And Happens to me all the time. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. me too. Yeah, it's a, If you take that off, it would be, you would be facing emptiness, really, mm-hmm. eventually. On the other hand, all that, all that energy and effort would be concentrating towards something else then thinking about mm-hmm. that music. Maybe you'd be solving mathematical or whatnot. No, I don't think I would. Math isn't my strong point, but... Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I, I love to think that music is all around us. Our sounds are all, all around us. I can't go, I can't go anywhere without first listening. Mm-hmm. I go, I used to say I go everywhere ears first. Mm-hmm. Just, well, because, you know, I happen to work with my ears. Yeah. Actually, that kind of touched upon another point I was going to ask about. Um, you also mentioned in your talk that you combine sound design and composition when you're working on a project. There doesn't seem to be a divide between the two. Mm. Could you maybe expand on that for the listeners? Um, I don't know where to start, actually. <laughs> Dividing 
I was quite interested in you were talking about making sounds with kettles and toiletries and things and you just like to experiment with sound not specifically music mm. you like to experiment with sounds as well uh, yeah well it, it, it usually happens well for instance with quantum break I spent the first six or two six to eight months with doing what I call a raw library mm-hmm. I was uh, just you know recording sounds that I thought I might need according to a plan that I had in my head and according to a manuscript I had read about the game mm-hmm. and uh, it involved everything feedback in guitars and mm-hmm. uh, what I described as cold sounds mm-hmm. and whatever is making a screeching sound or squeaking noise or whatever that that somehow feels cold to me mm-hmm. and especially when you start uh, time expanding those, stretching those, mm-hmm. uh, the, the screeching, singing, cold quality, it, uh, it emphasizes. Mm-hmm. And during that, some sounds felt like they belonged to Jack, some sounds be- felt they belonged to Beth, and some were meant for Paul slash Serene, mm-hmm. uh, depending on which person you, identity you're referring to. Is it pre explosion or post-explosion. Mm-hmm. Pre is Paul and post is Serene, okay. the, the evil character. But somehow I made that uh, subconsciously, that, uh, mm. that classification. And it was uh, quite um, interesting really to find out that my brain functioned that way. And some sounds, when you expand them, they, the natural harmonic movement inside them uh, provided some mysterious uh, melody-like or mm-hmm. um, motive-like things. Uh, they appeared when I uh, stretched them to abnormal lengths. And yeah. it was actually quite nice to think that something that came from a raw sound actually uh, somehow lured me towards the theme of that character, more oh, okay. or less. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially... It's a funny thing, I have never ever mentioned this before, but the jacks, uh, the piano thing that's in the opening of, of the first track on the soundtrack is uh, was derived from, uh, I mean this, just a second, can I play? Yeah. This one. That piano thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it became from... Yeah, um, it uh, appeared from, uh, I was uh, recording a hinge, a rusty hinge, mm-hmm. that kept oh, <laughs> something wow. like that. And when I expanded it, uh, the notes became more apparent. Mm-hmm. And uh, it happened to be in C minor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have to retune it. And I tried to using it as a loop in the background, mm-hmm. but it didn't feel right because it didn't actually uh, Jack was traveling he mm-hmm. was in a, in a cab and he was approaching Riverport and it didn't actually provide um, um, the essence of that sound didn't provide enough traveling movement mm-hmm. so um, I first tested cutting it into pieces and enveloping the pieces into percussive pieces mm-hmm. and from that I realized that it would benefit if I played it with an upright piano. Mm-hmm. The same notes, the same exact notes that, yeah. that came out there from the hinge. 
that's actually so interesting. Yeah. Thank you for telling us about it. Yeah, a lot of things happened that way, really. Mm-hmm. So it was more kind of experimenting with sound design that you came across this melodic yeah. element. Yeah, mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, it was easy to build harmonies on top of that because the notes were, they weren't, it wasn't a minor or major scale. It, it fit in both, mm-hmm. which was perfect to me because it was ambivalent. Yes, yeah, so exactly. it, it, I could put it in the background of pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I made my life a little bit easier that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's um, a lot of things really happened mm-hmm. that way. Uh, some harmonic movements, for instance, they came from um, a broken ukulele, um, or, or me breaking an ukulele, <laughs> actually. Uh, which eventually became Beth's team, mm-hmm. really. But the the breaking sounded so violent that I couldn't use it as such. But when you remove all the noise components from that sound, mm-hmm. and once again you stretch what's left, mm-hmm. you get a series of notes mm-hmm. that sound quite surprising to me. And I, somehow, of course, a few notes had to be retuned, but it was interesting to find out how things evolve from mm-hmm. such a simple sources. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you like to dissect things. You like to dissect themes. And I think you mentioned you use Ys and mm. you sometimes create a long theme, but mm. then you use Ys to chop mm. it up. Is that a natural thing that you do or do you choose to do that? Uh, well, it's done because the the, the game mechanics mm-hmm. require that. And I, I actually don't like the idea of somebody else slashing up my tunes mm-hmm. but on the other hand I don't have that much time to do it myself so I have to rely on other people mm-hmm. I I would love to do the integration my, myself but it would require at, at least two months more yeah. and two months more development time it pays a lot of money yes. yeah it's <laughs> I, 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 I can't afford that unfortunately mm-hmm. and me being a loner, not using any assistance or whatnot, it's uh, it's always a uh, it's a bit mess, really, to mm-hmm. you know try putting stuff into a game by myself. So I suppose in that situation, you need to develop a good relationship with the audio programmers who mm-hmm. are going to they're going to be doing these things to mm-hmm. your music for you. So how do you do that if it's if it's a new team that you've not worked with before? How do you develop that relationship? Uh, that's a good question. Um, most of the time, uh, it's again a matter of a few lunches, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, I'm telling what I'm after with Samsung. I'm, I'm, I'm creating a one long track, and when they start wondering about the, the, a certain quiet section there in the, in the end, end part of the song, I usually explain, well, you can use that for, for instance, this and that. Mm-hmm. And when they realize that it's basically one long track that's consisting of tinier pieces they they find it much easier to approach and after a few tests when when we are discussed this thing through after a few tests they can usually provide quite a few demos that are quite pleasing and mm-hmm. there are only a few things here and there that need needs to be honed it can be either me honing it or they honing their edits but it's a matter of communication, really, mm-hmm. but a matter of careful communication. Yes. And uh, I'm not dictating any, anything or telling anybody how to do their job. 
it's more like I'm expressing my hopes yeah. how it would how it should be treated in order you know if somebody else is chopping up my music I would love to you know uh, sign the music as mine mm-hmm. otherwise it's somebody else's yeah yeah and and if if the essence of a composition gets mangled or destroyed or damaged then I'm not sure if there's any point at all putting that in mm-hmm. if it sounds deranged or mm-hmm. damaged it somehow cheapens the end product mm-hmm. and it cheapens the music itself mm-hmm. so do you always have the final say on what the audio programmer has made before it actually gets implemented uh, usually yeah. nowadays especially with Remedy mm-hmm. I don't have to check what they do They, I, I, I trust their yeah. output and they know what I want so mm-hmm. it's of course, I do play games before even alpha stage in order mm-hmm. to find out what's where and what's what's working and what's not. Mm-hmm. But quite rarely, I need to say anything about let's guys, let's fix this. So yeah, so that's great that you've now got to that stage where you both have that trust, like you yeah, said earlier. Yeah. I, I really appreciate the guys I'm working with, mm-hmm. no matter which company they are from. But whenever you are in such a position in such a company that's releasing a game, you usually are so damn good mm-hmm. at what you do that there's no point of, you know, sneering at you or whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I try to be, I try to treat them as, um, how would I say, my mother used to tell me always concentrating on being the most stupid one in the crowd, <laughs> because that's the only way you can learn. Yeah. And I've, I've been trying to follow that. Mm-hmm. So far, it's worth quite well <laughs> quite well <laughs> yeah. I hope um, I think we've nearly run out of time but I actually had a question from a friend of mine who was also okay. in the audience at your talk he is a big synth fan and he'd heard you talk about your synth and um, he asked what is your favourite synth or modular component to work with <laughs> okay wow put you on the spot Wow, that's interesting <laughs> one. I think right now, uh, because I like uh, I like testing my own code. There are th- two things actually in my modular synth. There's a O tool, uh, which uh, which is a uh, basically a tool module. It has a um, spectrum view, level view. It can be used as a tuner and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then Z DSP which you can program with your own algorithms. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to come up with a good glitchy algorithms, but uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a long road to do that. <laughs> On the other hand, hmm, yeah, those two, I have to say. What else would there be? <laughs> Let me think for a while. Ah, okay, actually, there's one, mm-hmm. DPO. Dual prismatic oscillator, and okay. um, it's it's a really nice nice thing to have if you want to do quick FM sounds or really nasty screechy bass sounds or things mm-hmm. like that. But outside outside the analog world, favorite pieces of gear would be Prophet Six. Mm-hmm. It's all over the Quantum Break soundtrack actually, mm-hmm. and. Um, well, that's about it, I think. Mm-hmm. Then the re- remaining tools, they are more or less digital, mm-hmm. really. I love re- doing stuff with Reactor. 
mm-hmm. and most of the ambient stuff that are in Quantum Break, they, they are achieved by using... Um, I, I made a um, grain cloud instrument on Reactor. Mm-hmm. You can drag and drop anything onto it, and then you can basically bow through a sound using a module, modulation wheel mm-hmm. and uh, assign every parameter to different MIDI controllers. That that was all over the place, everywhere, and I even used it for dialogue for oh wow in, a, in to make uh, strange background noises. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not inside the game, but inside the soundtrack, in mm-hmm. order to provide some movement for otherwise steady background track. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was quite interesting to have that. It does sound really interesting. Yeah. yeah well, did you I, take? Um, you mentioned you take dialogue. Was that part of the kind mm. of spoken dialogue from the game, or mm. was it pre-recorded stuff? Well, um, a few rhythm tracks were achieved. That I took. Uh, there was a temporary. Voiceover track, or okay. or, or, or some, um, some a character saying sentence or two. I actually took the line and time aligned it to a certain tempo so that all the letters or syllables were at the right rhythmical pace, mm-hmm. and then started playing with those um, tuned tuned the, the rhythmical components to a certain scale, let's say C minor, and then started playing with the overtones. It was quite interesting. And when I turned speech percussive enough, I mean, my speech is full of letters S, T, P, K, Mm. R, whatnot. And if you shorten them enough, I mean, if you're using a transient designer or plugin like that, Uh, harshly enough, you can basically turn a comprehensible speech into a line of percussion. Wow. Human percussion, actually. It doesn't sound like beatboxing mm-hmm. or anything. And when you combine that with convolution reverb and you put in some, let's say, somebody crashing your dashboard or windshield or whatnot, um, shooting a canister with a shotgun or something like that, it becomes... Uh, Um, how would I say, it becomes a rhythmical instrument that has a human qualities, of mm-hmm. course, but mostly it's metallic and thus slightly artificial. Mm-hmm. It's a well, it's a constant exploration and finding treasures here and there. Yeah. That I, sounds really fascinating. Thank yeah. you so much for going into that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, a, it's actually a matter of getting to know your tools and getting to know your your equipment so well mm-hmm. that you can basically come up with new ideas with yeah. exactly the same basic stuff that everybody else has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you touched upon that in your talk as well, that you like to challenge yourself and try new things all of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of composers could try. It's definitely something I'm going to try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I sort of encourage people towards random things mm-hmm. because wonderful things happen at random. You, yes. you meet random... Uh, you meet wonderful people at random. You you come up with wonderful sounds at random. It, it's it's a whoa, but controlling that random it uh, randomity is another issue. Yeah. But it it sort of it interests me. You can't really control full, total, natural random mm-hmm. issues, random events. But trying to 
adjust them would be possible. And that's, that's probably where the essence of what I do remains. Mm-hmm. I would love to turning random events into comprehensible pieces of music. That would be great, yes. really. Using random generator to do pop songs. I actually did that in 90s. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I really did. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Ahead of the times then. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't know. I, I, it was a... I, I used to study theoretical physics and uh, I studied some programming languages as well. And it was one of the... Um, we had to do some rehearsal programming stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually never was able to finish anything properly because I was so interested in testing this and yeah. testing that and trying this idea mm-hmm. and trying that. It was quite funny to, to you know, try, try composing stuff according to somebody else's style. It was a mm-hmm. good way to learn stuff. Yes. Yeah, you take something from that yeah. original and yeah. then make it your own. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you.